You're listening to the Team Science Podcast. For all those who are listening for the first time, welcome to the Team Science Podcast. My name is Benjamin. I'm currently a Vice Principal and Head of Science in the Northwest, and I set up Team Science at the end of 2017 as a vehicle to try and help stimulate dialogue and discussion between all those who are involved within science education and to try and bring the science teaching community closer together through the online network. We've also tried to give all the great ideas and discussions that so many of you have day in and day out as much publicity as possible. Welcome to episode two of the Team Science Podcast. It's a bit of a longer one this week. Uh, we're going to be looking at technology in the classroom. So we're in the age, obviously, where technology can support and hopefully supplement learning, whether it's hardware and your school or pupils have devices that they're given or that they can use in their classes, or maybe software that you download or run or YouTube videos and so on. It's a great time to teach and have all these resources at our fingertips. More and more, we're seeing uh, online and web-based products from third parties, and we're going to speak to a couple representatives from them today. So obviously, in our opinion, best use of te technology is where we can support and help pupils, and it's not really the be-all and end-all and having whole lessons hinging on it. A way to save time, maybe, or to do some tasks quicker, analyzing data and so on. Again, these might be places where technology works best for you or those in your context. So we wanted to talk today with some of the industry leaders when it comes to technology in and out of the classroom. And we're going to be joined by Dr. Flavia Bellum. She's the Chief Scientific Officer at Seneca Learning, which is an online accelerated learning platform that pupils can use to go through content, assess themselves, and then the software behind the scenes can augment the journey they take depending on what they're getting right and wrong. And we're also going to speak to Charlie Derbyshire, who's the Managing Director and Founder of Educake, which again is an online assessment tool, this time focusing more on the sciences, but again, something that can be brought into lessons or the pupils can use independently at home. So hopefully we'll be able to delve a bit deeper into these two platforms to see maybe how they could be used for you in your schools and your classrooms. So at this point, I'd like to introduce our first guest. So today we're joined by Charlie Derbyshire, who's the Managing Director and Founder of Educake. So for those who don't know, Educake's an online assessment platform uh, with thousands of teachers and students answering millions of questions every single month. Uh, Charlie studied experimental psychology at Oxford and then went on to write, design and edit many of the UK's best-selling revision guides, practice papers and workbooks for CGP. So good afternoon, Charlie. Hello. Hi, Ben. Thanks for joining us today. Um, some of our listeners may want to know maybe a bit more about you. So I was hoping you, if you could just tell us a little bit about your current role and its links with education, if possible. Uh, yeah, of course. Um, currently, then, I'm running Educake, uh, and I founded that uh, about five or six years ago, um, which is a online formative assessment platform. So for homework and revision, um, currently GCSE Sciences, but we've got geography coming out in a few months. Um, and obviously, basic education, that's that's what I'm doing all the time. Uh, so partly talking to teachers about how they're using the platform so we can improve it, which we're doing all the time. And then also um, trying to find out about where education is going, what we need to do next, and um, yeah, just staying on top of things, really. And how long has edu Educate been like? Actually, operational. Like I've only heard of it this academic year in my school, but uh, how long have you actually had a product out there and people engaging with it? 
Well, um, that's a slightly difficult question to answer because the way we built Educake was created a very basic version mm -hmm. and then worked with teachers who are actually using it to build all the features that people see now. So okay. we've had a version out for five years, but at the beginning, it's not, it wasn't like what we did. You could kind of set tests and things, but you couldn't really do uh, lots of things we, we do now. So I, I'm going for about three, four years in its current, its kind of current state. Sure, it's evolved since then and since that feedback from staff using it and so on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Magic. Um, and what's what's your background in terms of like we we mentioned before, like you're at university level, but what's your kind of career up until this point? Has it been involved with education? Have you been in completely unrelated fields? What's that kind of journey for you? Not really. Uh, I, well, I left um, university, and I'm I'm from the Lake District, so I went back there and um, started working for at the time a relatively new company, CGP, mm -hmm. who make revision guides, the kind of cartoon style revision guides. Yeah. And I started writing them and then ended up kind of uh, editing and developing them and designing new, you know, new subjects and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I worked there uh, till about 2010, but I did take some time out to set up a recording studio in the Lake District, which is my kind of passion. Yeah. Um, and from that, I thought, actually, I do really like running a business and, and, that, and that kind of aspect of it, but actually making music is, is a kind of hobby. So I'd rather keep it that way and, um, uh, yeah, and, and work, you know, a normal, a normal style job in, yeah, yeah. in the daytime. Um, so then it, it, I have been, you know, making resources for teachers for, for most of, yeah, most of my professional life. Mm -hmm. Um, and I do, yeah, I do find it really interesting trying to work out what teachers and students need and how, how I can make something that really helps. Yes, it's interesting you said that. So you've you started like, you know, where you said making, working with CGP and making the resources and you said that idea of, you know, being a business owner is something that appealed to you. So what, how was the jump to educate? Was it just a culmination of those and you thought that was the best fit or was there something in particular when you were, you were thinking there was a gap that you could fill or, you know, potential issues for teachers that you could hopefully accomplish with educate? Um, there were two things. One, um, most educational software uh, was, and I think still is, really difficult to use and difficult to use under the time pressure that teachers are under. So my wife's a secondary English teacher <clears throat> yeah. and know that, you know, if something's not quite working right, as a teacher, you don't have time to spend a few minutes trying to fix it or get it working or something. Definitely. You've got to be teaching and you've got to be you need to be managing your class and how they're learning throughout the lesson as well as you, know, you can't be doing that at the same time as trying to answer a support email or something so what I wanted was something that was very very straightforward clear to use but mm -hmm. at the same time really kind of rigorous so we've got thousands and thousands of questions that we've written and that's the kind of rigor and it's all linked to different specifications but we've made it really easy to to use and how big's that? How big's that team that's involved in that? Obviously, like I've I've used the system, and so is like the rest of my department. And there are like plentiful questions there. How big is that support of Educate? You know, the team behind that driving it. Is that a lot, or is that a, a small team, but just putting in the hours? Um, so we're quite small in the in the office. There's only um, four of us, mm -hmm. but um, to write the questions, then we use. Um, teachers and editors that have worked before so they're all around the country um to kind of write the questions and then illustrators mm. to make them kind of look nice and then we need to check them 
and proofread them several times and then check them again and be constantly on, on go it so uh, I guess in total there's probably about 15 or 20 people that have been involved yeah. uh, we have um, I should remember this I think 11,000 questions now wow. uh, GCSE key stage 3 science so the QA process obviously like you say is quite a <laughs> quite an intensive one so with your yeah. with your experience of uh, like online assessment platforms um and in your experience, how well do you think teachers know about the systems that are out there, Educate being one of the examples? Do you think there's good knowledge of it and there's a lot of staff that know about them? Is it maybe uh, kind of kept in certain areas of the country where maybe you're able to get out more and spread the word? How do you think that kind of general knowledge is amongst the science teaching community of your system? Um, I think of Educate, it's it's quite good now um i think only in the last year or year and a half and, and to be honest most of it is spread through word of mouth so mm. if we can make it good and teachers like it they're likely to tell another department somewhere else and somewhere else so i think that's how it's it's spread largely mm-hmm. now when you get that when you get that kind of uh, you're saying word of mouth do they ever come back to you with like really useful feedback have there been parts of the system where you're like actually yeah we need to spend more time on that because that's more value to the staff you know out there using it yeah all the time like absolutely all the time and that's what i that's what's really nice about making a kind of digital online system because unlike a book which is it's there you make it with an online thing we can constantly make it better so mm-hmm. like, like this week we've just launched a mark book which means that teachers can now see all the tests that they've set for a class mm-hmm. like a traditional mark book but it's all color coded instantly so you can see that actually i don't know like one student normally does quite well but actually in one test they didn't do well and so at a glance you can think okay i can address that problem yeah so that, and that came from uh, a suggestion from th- uh, at least four teachers sure but yeah, I think that's uh, the way I see it is with technology and you're right in class, you don't have time to kind of necessarily do things on the fly or correct them. But if you can use it to analyze the data and do that number crunching like really quickly and give it to you in a presentable way, that can be really useful for staff. But yeah, that's an interesting function. I'll have a look at that after this. Um, if there was a teacher out there now listening and they were um, wondering, OK, um, I know that we've got Educate and it's got all these questions and it can give us this this grade book kind of output. Um are there any certain ways that you would recommend and someone who's completely new to educate to use it, whether it be let students get on with it independently, use it in class, use it as homework, a mixture of it all? What would you kind of tell to someone who is brand new to the system? Um, well, I suppose I'd find out about what they wanted to do and how they were teaching first, which is not a great, um, not, not a great answer for a, a podcast, is it? But I think, um, you know, to apply to everyone. But I suppose the best way to get going is just to think about the topic that you've just recently taught or finished, um, let's say, I don't know, like anaerobic and aerobic respiration, mm-hmm. and you think, okay, well, I'm going to set a quick test on that for the students to do in the next week. So you can just click anaerobic respira- and aerobic respiration, mm-hmm. see some questions that come up, you can deselect them, or you can just use all of them straight away, assign that to a class, and tell them to log on and complete their work. And then in a week later, you can review review their work and any feedback they've given you i think that's probably the best way to get going um and that's that's what it's kind of designed for straight away but then also now students can it'll create tests for students automatically based on their strengths and weaknesses and that's the kind of thing that students can do so you could encourage students to do that particularly at this time of year yeah Uh, in the in the run-up to the exams definitely so i reckon there'd be some like i know there are some schools where uh pupils you know have their own devices 
the school yeah. provides. I know some schools allow um, pupils to maybe take phones in. How does your system work between, or like some schools may have like computer suites, for example. How does your um, educate work between different devices? Does it matter at all? Does it work better on some and so on? Uh, it doesn't really matter at all. I mean, I suppose it, it works on all devices. That was really important to me. I wanted it to be used on any device with a reasonably modern web browser mm-hmm. so you don't have to install an app or anything like that there's no barrier you just got a browser you open it there you are yeah um uh, people tend to use uh kind of laptops or desktops or tablets um students do answer questions on the phones but like with you know some diagrams i wouldn't i wouldn't particularly want to kind of try to fi- figure out certain certain diagrams on sure. the phone but that that's a kind of lim- limitation of just you know how diagrams are but um to be honest, as phones have got bigger as well recently, so that's yeah. not really a problem. Yeah, okay then. Um, are there ways that pupils, and this is more for kind of people listening in again, are there ways that pupils can be like truly independent on the system, or does it always require a teacher to kind of set things? I know you mentioned just before you were saying how the system can kind of set it based on pupils' weaknesses. Can, can learners be completely independent on it as well? Yeah, they can. So... Any student can, and this is what I wanted to make it, I wanted to make it really straightforward and easy to use. So a student can just click on um, start, uh, set myself a test, there's a big button. They click on that and they choose a couple of topics, How many? say how many questions they want, say like I want to choose 10 questions. And once they answer a test and they kind of get, that starts them on this kind of uh, a virtuous cycle or feedback loop. So they do the test and then it shows them all the topics color-coded how well they've done in each test mm-hmm. so i want to make students kind of um informed learners i guess so they're aware of how well they're doing on everything mm-hmm. but then they can just click on any topic so photosynthesis or the carbon cycle or anything like that and it will automatically create another 10 question test for them and then it takes them back to that page so it it makes doing revision like focused revision quite straightforward so even if you're not you know, the kind of student who's got a timetable and organised, you can think, I, I'll just do some 10 questions, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit, and, and, and off I go. So it, it, it can be done that way. But I, I really do think as well that, you know, that students will benefit from teachers kind of guiding them as well. That's a kind of extra. Because um, I don't really, I mean, I'm, I might be being a bit old-fashioned, but I really like, I, I really think teachers are the people who should should direct the students really i think that complete automatic learning systems um they, they can be helpful but i think it's kind of missing a trick really yeah i think it's um what we've noticed uh, at our school is we've got um different staff either setting them as like you know do nows when they come into the class or as homeworks but then it's still nice seeing that some of the pupils are then going just above and beyond and when we look at our totals there's pupils who've answered thousands more questions and it's it's nice to see that they're doing you know what the teacher thinks best and then they're going above and beyond and that's how they're spending their revision time engaging with like the educator at home which is which is really useful we think um like if we look down the road now like five years, 10 years from now, and this doesn't have to be solely focused on educate because I know you can't maybe tell us some things that aren't out yet, but where do you see kind of technology being linked to education like five years from now? Do you think it's going to be pretty similar to where it is, where it's you, we have some online web-based platforms, we've got some software, YouTube and so on, or do you think it might progress in any way, more AI, for example? Yeah, there's a lot of talk about AI um, at the moment, isn't there? And yeah. I don't, Personally, I don't know how much of that is hype, mm. how much of it is is kind of 
reality. I think my hunch from re- reading about it is that a lot of it is is hype. Yeah. Because I don't think there's a better way of students learning than being in a classroom with a, not just an expert in their subject, but an expert who's in teaching, who can mm-hmm. teach identify their strengths and weaknesses nurture them encourage them and do all that kind of thing mm-hmm. so I think for me technology is there to support the teacher and support and so like i was saying before like give them easy to read analysis so do all that number crunching so then yeah you could you can use that and you don't have to spend your time doing that you can you can, you can use your expertise to apply it there will be a big push i think for automatic systems that can you know that claim that um you know you can just put a teacher put a student in front of it in a group in a uh, classroom and i think that will probably come from kind of cost savings so yeah i'm skeptical as as to whether that's actually in the benefit of the student uh mm. or whether it's actually coming from uh, uh, i don't know it's not a kind of ulterior motive but can we reduce cost of education which is you know it's which is a kind of a good thing to do mm. overall i suppose but actually i'm not sure technology can replace the expertise of, of a teacher and, and we all have stories of a teacher and you hear them all the time of a teacher who inspired us in a certain subject or in a certain bit or when you were struggling boosted their confidence or taught you something in a different way yeah and I, I think that's the real success of education really yeah no i agree i think it's all those instances where we all sit down as a department or as a school we normally always get onto that topic don't we of like yeah why are you here who's inspired you or you see those pupils 10 years, like it's actually happening to me now where I'll see a pupil, an ex-pupil, you know, out and about and they they tell you something that resonated with them and so on. So yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, so at the end of kind of these discussions, uh, every guest has got the same three questions and you haven't seen these prior to us talking. So I'm just going to ask them of you and yep. uh, they shouldn't be too hard. I shouldn't put you on the spot too much. So um, the first one is, um, if you can imagine on Monday of next week, uh, you could put a 30 second announcement into every staff room across the country, just you telling every member of staff anything you wanted, what would be in your 30 second like announcement to every teacher up and down the country? Um, well, at- as a Liverpool fan, I'm all talking about the Roma-Liverpool game, the Champions League semi-final, but that is not useful for teachers, really. So <laughs> that's ignore, let's ignore that, but that's all I'll be thinking about on Monday. Sure. Um, but what I think... Um, I think Educate can save teachers time mm-hmm. at the same time as engaging students and helping teachers teach. And that's the big thing. So we save teachers an average about five hours a week of marking and planning. Mm-hmm. The students get better feedback and also the teachers get more better information about students without doing extra work. So I think it's um, trying educate. Uh, we've got a free trial. Mm-hmm. Seeing it is, is uh, well, I mean, obviously I'm extremely biased, but I think it's <laughs> worth worth a go for a little bit of time anyway. Okay, perfect. Um, that's, not, that's not very hard sell, is it? I should have done, I should have done a better job. <laughs> no, it's okay. That was fine. You're good. Um, the second one was, um, what advice would you give yourself at the beginning of your career if you could go back? So this could be the beginning of setting up Educate. It could be all the way back when you're working for CGP. But what advice would you give yourself? All oh, right. Um, I would say, well, let me think when I was 21. Uh, I, was, I think I was probably quite quite overconfident as people are you know uh experience does matter um and also not to worry about what you want to do because 
actually when you start your career you do one thing and then you, you kind of think oh i like this but i'm not sure about this and, and actually people find themselves in the, in the career that they want to so not to fret about that i think that's a that's a big thing and for any any kind of people at university like don't, don't worry about you know what you start doing is not necessarily what you're going to be doing for, forever and you'll find something that you really like yeah i agree with that one okay and the last one of these tricky <laughs> team science questions um what so you're obviously involved in uh like this the online and education uh, like industries what is the one thing that you would always tell your kind of non-education based friends is the best part of your job or someone who doesn't have their own business but is in your circle of friends what do you tell them is the best part about your job um the best part is that i get to do different things all the time and learn things all the time and so with my job it's always changing because I'm always finding out new problems that we can fix or do new things and and I always have to learn about something something new. So if we're doing geography, which we are, I'm like going over geography, like learning all about geography specifications and mm-hmm. that kind of thing and how what, what geography teachers need. And I, I really enjoy that. That's the best thing. Fantastic. Okay, so like a bit of a, a call to arms now. For everyone listening, where could they find out more information about Educake if they wanted to kind of go away from this and go, yeah, I want to sign up to that trial? Well, they can just Google Educake, E-D-U-C-A-K-E, and um, then there's a big orange button saying start a free trial. So you can start it for 30 days. And also, um, it's mid-April, isn't it, I think now? I don't know when when this is going out. But um, if they wanted a free trial for 60 days, so it covered all the exam period, and they were listening to Team Science, then we could sort that out for them as well. Magic, yeah. No, this will go out pretty soon. So that I'm sure that'll help some teachers out there. Um, we'll include all this information as well of in the uh, tran- in the transcription that we do of it. Um, educate on social media at all? Yeah, we're on Twitter. Um, we don't really do much kind of uh, stuff about educate, but instead what we do is just tweet uh, interesting science videos mm-hmm. and uh, kind of animations and anything we find that's interesting. So um, if you need kind of ideas for lessons or anything, or just like seeing um, different things exploding or whatever it is, then uh, have a look at that. Perfect. And obviously, if anyone's listening on the Anchor app, then feel free to leave us a voicemail or a question and we will send it to Educate for them to try and answer as best they can. So I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you, Charlie, for uh, taking the time to speak with us on our second Team Science podcast. And hopefully we can share this idea of online assessment and formative feedback with all the listeners. So thanks very much for your time. Thanks a lot. So we're now moving on to our second interview. And while the sound quality isn't perfect, if there's anything you're struggling with picking up, uh, the full transcript of the interview is available on teamscienceedu.co.uk. So at this point, I'd like to introduce our guest. So today we're joined by Dr. Flavia Bellum. She's the Chief Scientific Officer at Seneca Learning. Um, Dr. Bellum applies findings from neuroscience to a unique learning platform that we're hopefully going to be able to discuss in a bit more detail. Uh, She has a PhD in Cognitive Neuroscience at the University College London, and she used behavioural and brain imaging techniques to investigate how people of different ages memorise emotional events. So good afternoon, Flavia. Hi, good afternoon, Ben. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks for asking. Um, I hope there's quite a lot there actually to go through. I hope I got all that right. Um, So some of our listeners may want to know just a bit more about you and your current role. So I was wondering if you could give us a bit of context in terms of what you do at Seneca and what the company aims to kind of get from its being in existence, if that makes sense. Yes, of course. I am, like I said, the chief scientist here and that Seneca Learning is a social enterprise. So that we aim to we have two different products. One of them is aimed for corporations that they pay, for, and the other one's aimed at schools, and that one's given for free. Yeah. So 
So the whole idea of the company is to make sure that education is as equal as possible. Uh, at least we're trying to. Yeah. So we provide all these courses for free. And uh, Seneca Learning has the idea of applying science to education. So we have our own platform that is that covers all the GCSC subjects. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's all evidence-based. So we have different things like retrieval practice, space, and they all applied to the platform to make sure that it works well. Yeah. And that students really do benefit from the platform. And my job is to keep in touch with the science bit. So mm-hmm. with academic papers, talking to researchers, and then applying that to the platform. Perfect. Okay. I th- yeah, I think that's a good, perfect answer. Actually, give us an idea of kind of where you're coming from. So what's your background, kind of like your journey from maybe when you left school, getting to this point now, like what were the kind of decisions and those ideas that resonated with you that brings you to this point in your life now? Yeah, I, well, I'm from Brazil. Mm-hmm. So I studied biology there. Yeah. And yeah. I also had a teaching degree. So I worked as a biology teacher for about two years. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. Uh, but then I moved to London to do a PhD. So now I completed my PhD in cognitive neuroscience at UCL. Yeah. And since then I have been working with Seneca. So I liked research. I like science. Period. I like science. Yeah. Uh, and I thought I really liked doing research. But my PhD decided that I prefer to apply research to other things mm-hmm. than to do research myself. So that's why after finishing the PhD, I left academia and joined the company where I can hopefully use what I learned and what other researchers are doing to improve education. Yeah, fantastic. It's interesting that you have, like you say, a couple of years of actual teaching experience as well, which is kind of useful as well, because you have that that view from in the classroom of maybe either what pupils need or what staff are wanting, you know, in their day to day pedagogy and practice as well, which I'm sure can be quite useful for you. Yes, absolutely, because sometimes you read a paper mm-hmm. on an international journal, and think, ah, this would work very well, but then you actually talk to teachers, and they have a completely different experience, so that thing doesn't really apply in practice, so it's good to have both points of view. Perfect. All right, then. So there's just kind of a few questions we've got now that I'm, we've got from people who've kind of emailed in and so on so the first one was with your experience of you know um, you've obviously researched how people learn and the different theories out there and in your context and experience of working with Seneca how well do you think teachers or educators know about the science behind learning like the actual theory of how people learn do you think that's well known amongst teachers or is it a bit of a mixed bag depending on where you go to I think that mixed bag. So I have been going to different schools in England to talk about the platform and to talk about science and cognitive sciences. Mm-hmm. And I meet some teachers that know probably even more than I do. Sure. They really, they really, they really apply, they really read all the papers they apply. They do their own experiments in a way in the classroom. Mm-hmm. But I'd say the majority of teachers that I've met, at least, they not that familiar with okay. the concept. So, so sometimes they Sometimes they really do things just by instinct yeah. or because of their experience, but they don't really know the theory behind it. Yeah, I think that's true. Of like, I'm not that long in teaching. I've been teaching for about eight or nine years now. And I'd say a lot of the practice I'd started with was because maybe someone told me because it worked well for them and, you know, the pupils they taught. But whether it being based in actual hard evidence or so and so forth was maybe harder to come by. 
Um, so if there was a teacher out there who wanted to, after this, go to the website and find out about Seneca Learning, do you um, recommend it for pupils to use independently as part of a classroom activity, um, as homework, or does it not really matter and you just want people engaging with it? Or did you have a viewpoint on which might be of more use for the pupils' learning? Yeah, so uh, the platform is still growing. So we launched it in March, so some things are already done and working perfectly well, some things we're still improving. So right now I'd say the best thing is to students use it as revision when they're at home, so independent learning. Uh, the teachers can give them tasks to do, mm-hmm. so we are working platform so it was launched officially on Monday okay. uh, so right now the teachers can see how many students uh, signed up to their classes sure um, they can't yet see how each student is doing so when that feature is available then I think it will be better to use it as part of the classroom as part of teaching itself mm-hmm. as in addition to using their revision guides or uh, flashcards or anything else that they're yeah. using what other resources yeah yeah, okay. the, uh, the sessions are very short, mm-hmm. so they're about 10 to 15 minutes each, so you can mix with other methods and you can do more than one, you can do several of them. Okay, that's useful, thanks for that, perfect. Yeah. So having like been on Twitter myself and looking at some of these, like the terminology and the discussions people are having behind like how pupils learn and cognitive sciences, um, I've just got a couple kind of key words here or techniques or theories and I was hoping that if I asked you for one if you could kind of tell us and the people listening what they actually mean and what that might look like either from the point of view of how a teacher might plan considering this term or how it might affect a pupil's revision and I think that might help you know just with a bit of the knowledge for the people listening who may not have come across the terms before so the the first one was retrieval practice so just for the people listening what does retrieval practice mean and how might that be implemented by a teacher or by a pupil in their day-to-day teaching or revising so retrieval practice is the idea that you learn more if you're actively answering questions mm-hmm. instead of passively reading notes. Okay. So the way I think about it is if an uh, exam question is a maze and then the right answer to the question is the exit to the maze. Mm-hmm. So if you're always reading the notes, then you only have the one path that leads you to the exit. Sure. If you practice questions, if you practice actually putting your mind to work the problem mm-hmm. and find our solutions and finding out the answers then you create new memory routes and then it's easier for you to get to the exit than if it's reading the same thing so students the more questions they can do revision the better Mm -hmm. so can of course use Seneca learning because we have hundreds and hundreds of questions yeah Uh, but they can also download past papers Uh, they can use uh, flashcards I also recommend that they, they write their own questions and their friends write their own questions and then they exchange them. Yeah. And uh, for teachers, they can implement that into the classroom. So every day or every two lessons, low state quizzes. So the idea is that you use assessment for learning instead of assessment of learning. Yeah. So you use the tests for kids to learn more instead of for you just testing how well they know something or not. Sure. Okay. And when the pupils are doing those exam questions, not having any notes with them, but just using their notes and exam guides to check their answers and to kind of top the answers up, would that be fair in terms of when they're working through those papers? Yeah. So there's something called desirable desirable difficulties. Mm -hmm. And that's the idea that you need to work 
So it doesn't need to be possible, but it needs to be slightly difficult so that it works. Sure. So I read in one blog uh, that I can send you the link later. Yes, please. Uh, they suggest that first you try to answer everything without checking any notes, mm -hmm. and you write that in blue, let's say, and then you try again uh, reading your notes, and you write that in black. Yeah. And you ask your friends, ask your teachers, and you write that in orange or something like the color. Okay. And when you try that again, you do the same thing, and then you can notice for yourself that what you wrote in blue is more now than it was before. Yeah, adding in those extra themes that you spoke to your teacher about or looked in your notes about. Yeah. Okay. Um, the next one, then again, kind of what does it mean for everyone listening, and what that might look like in the real world? We've got spaced practice. Yes, so space practice is basically the opposite of cramming. Mm -hmm. So uh, another analogy that I think it's useful is uh, if you're practicing for a race that's going to happen in 10 weeks, uh, you can do 50 hours of practice over three days and then not do anything. Or you can do five hours a week every week. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you do the second way, then you're going to be much more prepared for the race than if you do everything at the beginning or everything at the end and nothing in between. Sure. So spaced practice means that you need to redo things after a while because every time you learn something, you forget that. But if you learn that again, then you're going to forget it more slowly. And if you learn that again, you forget it more slowly and more slowly. Okay. Does that implement anything for the teacher? Can teachers do anything with space practice in terms of when they're delivering content or is it more for pupils revising, do you think? I think both. So even on the quizzes that I mentioned before, so if you're giving your students a low-state quiz today, mm -hmm. it doesn't need to cover only the previous lesson. It can cover lessons from two weeks ago or three weeks ago. And I've also seen other teachers saying that they give different marks. Mm -hmm. So if the kids can answer something from the previous class, they get one mark. And if they can remember something from two classes ago, they got two marks or three marks. Sure. So you facilitate that they are learning things from the past okay yeah that's really interesting on that one okay so the the third one in the third of our four is dual coding would you be able to shed some light on that one for us uh, yeah so dual coding comes from the idea that every time that you learn something you have your verbal and your non-verbal processing yeah so if you can connect the two then things get easier so one example is if you think about I don't know, photosynthesis, mm -hmm. and you can write a whole paragraph about it, or you can have a mind map, which is the classic example, okay. or you can have a diagram, or you can have a color-coded equation. Sure. So it just makes it easier for you to understand, and it also makes it easier for you to remember if it's a information that you have to remember for your exam. Okay, could you, so, could you do the yeah. same for, like, a, so a teacher, if a teacher was going to share an idea or an equation or a concept, the idea that they could have the text available to the pupils, but then also an animation of what's going on. And then is that the same kind of idea of dual coding, giving pupils different ways of like interpreting the same information or is it not quite the same as that? Yes, it is. Uh, but it's just important that you don't do too much, that you don't overdo. Because we only have a limited ability, limited capacity to process things. Sure. So if you do a video, if you show a video and you're talking at the same time and you're asking them to write notes at the same time, they're probably not going to do any of them right. Yeah, definitely. So you need to connect things that are very easily to be connected, but without overdoing. That makes sense. 
Okay, and the last one on our, our list here of kind of like key terms is interleaving. Now, this is the one that I, like I'm most uh, comfortable with, and I think it's been brought up, especially with teachers when it comes to planning. But just in case people don't know, what, what is interleaving in this, the grand scheme of like how people learn? Yeah, so interleaving means the opposite of blocks. So instead of doing five hours of geography followed by five hours of English, mm-hmm. you do one hour geography, a bit of a break, then one hour English, then you go back to geography, then you do physics. Okay. And uh, that works better because your brain is more rested, so you don't get that tired. Uh, you also get breaks. Yeah. Um, and uh, especially for when you have to answer problems, like equation problems or calculus problems, then if you know that this is a chapter about, I don't know, acceleration in physics, mm-hmm. then you already know that you have to use that equation. So it's better if you sort of randomize sure. the questions, because then you have to learn from the question itself how to answer it, instead of already having pre-programmed in your head and already know what to do even before reading the answer the question. Mm. So that's yeah, that makes. Yeah, I, I like the idea of so yeah. with the pupils revising, you know, don't just do five hours of French, or you know, prior to the exam, kind of chunk it up. For teachers, how might uh, interleaving work for them? Is it simple as okay, this is the content we need to get through in three years. We need to kind of chunk it up a bit more than we would have done, or does it go a bit more complex than that? Yeah, I think for teachers it's a bit more complicated just because you have the school timetable. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's not as flexible as individual teacher would like yeah uh, but it's doable so yeah it's like for kids for kids they have to have a timetable as well for the revision and i think for teachers if they can implement interleaving together with pacing mm-hmm. that's the ideal so if they teach a bit of content a now they plan to teach content b in two weeks or content a again in two weeks then you can have content b in between i oh, gotcha yeah okay then perfect so what we do at this point now is we have three questions that we ask every guest um, every time they come on the show. So I'm going to give them to you now. You've not seen these questions before, but it would be interesting to kind of know your take on them, if that's okay. So mm-hmm. the, the first one is, uh, imagine you could make a 30-second advert or announcement that goes out to every single staff room tomorrow morning, every teacher up and down the country. What would you say to the staff? So I would tell them to definitely try Seneca Learning because I, we've been giving very, very nice feedback from teachers and for kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the exams are almost here. We have almost all the CSC subjects and almost all exam boards. Mm-hmm. So, and we offer them for free. So uh, the platform is free, is exam board specific, is evidence informed, like I told you, and it's actually engaging. So we have images, we have diagrams, everything that I mentioned before, videos, even gifts, mm-hmm. uh, they're all included in the platform and lots and lots and lots of questions. Perfect. So I'd say that tomorrow stu- uh, teachers can just log into the platform, see for themselves, and then just tell students to start using it because it really will help them. Okay, fantastic. The second one is, what advice would you give yourself at the beginning of your career? This could be your teaching career or you know your PhD. If you could go back, what advice would you give yourself uh, I think I would tell myself to do more science communication, outreach, mm-hmm. because I think the researchers sometimes spend too much time in the lab, mm-hmm. and in my case it was a basement lab with no windows, and you're just not in touch with anybody outside. 
Sure. So sometimes you may think that you're doing something that's going to have very big, very nice applications. But if you don't really talk to other people, then you won't know. And uh, it's also a way to give back. So like we said before, some teachers don't really know about this new cognitive science theories. So if the researchers can go to teachers, the teachers can know about it and the teachers can definitely give them important feedback into right. how to do research again. Brilliant. Okay, thanks for that. And the last one, um, what thing do you always tell either your non-teacher or non-scientist friends is the best part of your job at the minute? What's the best thing that you would tell to your non-specialist friends? So at the moment, I actually really enjoy talking to teachers. So like I said, I've been going to different schools in England mm -hmm. and I really like that. So I've met some very like, brilliant teachers they have been trying so hard and really doing amazing things in the classroom. And I've also read about, you know, workloads and all these complicated things about teaching here in this country. Yes. But you really do amazing things. And I'm always very impressed and very happy that students have the opportunity to have such incredible teachers with them. Oh, fabulous. I'm sure people love the sound of that. Okay, so now just more for people who are listening and we can kind of direct them to where they need to go. If anybody wanted more information or wanted to sign up, uh, kind of what's the web address or where could they uh, go to to find out more about Seneca Learning? Uh, so the website's www.senecalearning.com. So it's very easy to find. If you just Google Seneca Learning, you'll find it. Yeah. Uh, people can also follow me on Twitter. So I am Flavia Bellon, PhD. Uh, and I'm also posting things, I'm always posting things on Seneca and also on Cognitive Sciences. Perfect, yeah, we'll include the link to all that in our description of this as well. Um, so if anyone's listening on the Anchor app, then you can feel free to leave us a voicemail or tweet us with your questions, and I'll make sure Flavia gets those over the coming week. Um, I'd just like to take this opportunity to thank you, um, Flavia, for taking the time to speak to us here on our second podcast, and hopefully we can share the science of learning and the message of Seneca Learning to the people that will get listening through the week. So thanks very much for your time this thank afternoon. Thank you very much, Ben. Thank you. Very nice to talk to you. We'd like to thank you for downloading this podcast and a special thanks for everyone who made this particular episode possible. If you want to find out more about team science or any of the topics that we've discussed in this episode, you can find all the details over on our website, which is teamscienceedu.co.uk, or you can go to our Twitter page at teamscienceedu.